We welcome you to our Bible study as the radio Bible class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now today's lesson is titled, A Divided Heart, and it comes from Hosea 10. Now if you'd like to hear a previous lesson, you can listen online at our Facebook page, and that's www.facebook.com slash radio Bible class with no spaces between radio Bible class. Again, that's www.facebook.com slash radio Bible class with no spaces between radio Bible class. Now, Christian Radio is not free. If you enjoy this radio ministry, your offering to this ministry will aid in expense of keeping the radio Bible class on the air as a witness for Jesus. By making a charitable contribution, you're helping reach people that are listening in our area or on the internet. Now, you can make a donation safely and securely by calling us at 601-483-8648. And there, they can take your information over the phone or send us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, if you're a regular listener, you know that we've been going through the book of Hosea, and we're over halfway through. And in our study, we've seen God's tough love for his people. He's warned his people. He's been long-suffering with his people, and he's been very patient. All of this is going on, and Israel believes that it's really no big deal, and so they are ignoring God's warning. And God loves them so much that he just continues to warn them. And he'll do the same for us when we get off our path, and he will relentlessly pursue us even though we're chasing after other things. Hosea was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. And if you remember from previous lessons, Israel was divided into the northern and southern kingdom. And this happened during the reign of King Jeroboam I. Now it's now King Jeroboam II is there. The northern kingdom is known as Israel or Ephraim. And the southern kingdom was referenced most of the time by Judah. Also, both the northern and southern kingdoms had their own kings. Now God asked his prophet Hosea to do something that he didn't ask anybody else to do in the Bible. And that was to marry a prostitute. Now, he asked Hosea to do this as a visible illustration to the nation of Israel. And really to this northern kingdom that he's addressing because they were being unfaithful to God. They were doing spiritual adultery. Now, the picture was that here was this woman that Hosea is to love and marry and even go after her when she leaves him and goes back into her lifestyle of prostitution. And this was to represent God's great love for us. Even though we stray from God, even though that we allow things into our life that push us away from God, He still loves us. Even though we pursue other loves, God loves us and He is relentlessly loving us and coming after us. And He goes to great lengths to win us back. Now some of us are very stubborn and that brings God to a difficult decision where He has to allow pain and suffering to come into our life so that we will turn back to Him. And that's what we saw last week. Now, I told you last week that chapters 9 and 10 really go together, so we're going to pick back up on this harvest, and we're going to give you a quick recap from last week. Now, there were two harvests a year, and during the harvest, there was this festival for the harvest, and these harvest festivals included immoral acts as a way of worshiping the harvest gods. You could say they had their Mardi Gras party, where there was drinking and dancing and sex with prostitutes, all to worship the gods of the harvest. Hosea arrives on the scene and he tells Israel that the party's over. The time has come for your judgment. 
You've ignored the prophets that God has sent your way, and they've been warning you time and time again. And God has seen your spiritual adultery, and now it's time to pay the piper. He says, you've called me a foolish prophet. You said, I'm mad. I'm crazy because your priests aren't saying what I'm telling you that God is saying. Well, your priests don't have the anointing of God. And to ignore me is a slap in God's face. Then he tells them that because you've worshipped the God of the harvest and the gods of fertility with orgies and festivals, this is a stink to God's nose. And God is going to make you barren because of it. Both in the fields and in your body, you will be barren. If you're going to give other gods credit and you're going to praise them for these bountiful harvests and the wealth and the prosperity that you had, then I'm going to take it from you. And we'll see how your harvest gods help you once I dry up the ground and I make you barren. We'll see if you will continue to worship the fertility gods and the harvest gods if there is nothing to give them credit for. Now that's the same with the people that sit in our churches today. They have a relationship with God, but they've allowed other gods to creep in their hearts. They chase after other gods like wealth and status and power and sex and just things of this world. They no longer chase after God like they once did. So we should take a lesson and a warning from what Hosea is saying to Israel. We need to be careful of those things that we let into our heart. You know, the things that consume our time and our thoughts. Those are good indicators of false gods that we've allowed into our hearts and that have taken number one in our life. You know, they take away from our relationship with God. So I should ask you, do you have a divided heart today? So let's jump right in. Let's look at chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, and I'll be reading from the ESV. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. The first thing that we see from having a divided heart is that our fruit is selfish or our selfish fruit. It says during Israel's time of prosperity and instead of recognizing and blessing God back, they built more altars. Listen to how the New King James Version reads it. Israel empties its vine. He brings forth fruit for himself. Even when Israel had a good harvest, they blew it on themselves. God blessed Israel with material abundance, and what they do? They spent it on themselves, their selfish desires. Israel enjoyed the blessings from God, but they used it for their ungodly ways. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Galatians back in Galatians 5:13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. See, it's natural for us to take care of ourselves first, to use the blessings that God gives us to chase after the fleshly desires of our heart. The lesson we can learn here is that the fruitful vine was never meant for itself, but it was a benefit and a blessing for others. Now, let me give you an illustration of this. Does a farmer plant a grapevine, water it, tend it so that the grapevine can just sustain itself? No, that vine was to be a blessing to the farmer who planted it. Now, he may choose to share it with others and that fruit, but that fruit was never just for the vine. It was for the farmer. If you think about the fruit that Galatians teaches us about, Galatians 5.22, you know, like love and joy and peace and kindness and so forth. It's not for us. The Holy Spirit produces that fruit in us for others. That fruit is so that we can love other people. That peace is so that others can enjoy us. 
The joy of the Lord is so that we can bless others and be a blessing to others. If we are taking all the blessing that God has given us and we're keeping them for ourselves, then we're just like this empty vine. So that's where Israel is. And just like Israel, there are some Christians like that today. They've forgotten their purpose. Now, our purpose is to bring glory to God. And we do that by blessing others with the abundance that he gives us. Now, to make things worse, it says that their fruit increased and they used it to build more altars. You might say, well, wait, Tim. They used it to build altars to worship God, so isn't that good? Well, not if the altars are to worship pagan gods, and that's what they did. Look what God says in verse 2. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. Other translations read that their heart is divided. Now, Israel practiced their rituals to God, and they would even say that God was their God. And they would tell that story, but the life that they lived out was totally different. You know, they were just like Hosea's wife, Gomer, in her adulterous ways. She said that she loved Hosea, and she married him. But after that, she was really just living a lie because she chased after other men. She wanted their money, their affection, all that they could give her. And Israel was doing the same thing by worshiping these other gods. Now, Jesus spoke of the heart back in Matthew 13. Listen to Matthew 13, 15. For this people's heart have grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, then I would heal them. Doesn't this sound like Israel? Their hearts grown dull or hard. They're no longer hearing or listening to what God is saying to them. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, 9, The heart is the most deceitful of all things. It is desperately wicked. And he says that people do what they do because they rely on their heart. And our heart is deceitful. It is wicked. And because of this, we need to constantly be going to God and asking him to cleanse our heart. We should be constantly asking him to deal with the things and the issues of our heart. Now, you've heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words. And that's what we see here. You could say that a sinful heart will produce sinful action. Chasing after our selfish desires will lead to all sorts of problems like having to win no matter what. Chasing after sexual sin or wealth or power, anything that feeds our selfish desires, that's what comes out of a sinful heart. Now we have to understand that our love to God should be seen more in action than heard from our lips. Now I'm not teaching on salvation by works, but I'm teaching works by salvation. Now, our actions should just come out of our love for God and our salvation and not just some form of religious duty. Now, God can't have the priority of your heart if he doesn't first have all of your heart. And so this was Israel's problem. He didn't have all their heart. They had a divided heart just like verse 2 says. Now, we've seen at the end of verse 2 that God will break down their altars. And if our hearts are divided like Israel and we don't break down our sinful altars, then God will. Through God's judgment, he'll do what we should do. And this is what God is saying to them. He says, I won't share my glory with anyone or anything else. So I'm going to destroy your altars. And he's going to do this by bringing down the nation of Assyria. And they're going to take them into captivity. And Assyria is going to be the rod of discipline for God to spank Israel. And God has a lot of tools that he uses to discipline us. And for Israel at this time, it'll be the Assyrian Empire. And now as I look at our nation today, I can tell you that our biggest problem isn't terrorism. It isn't immigration. It's our sinful heart. 
As we stray further and further from God, we allow our morals to decline. When we guide by our heart, which is deceitful and not by what the Word of God says, then we're in trouble. And that's the biggest issue of America. And so that's the case here for Israel. They had a great military strength, but all their military strength wasn't greater than the problem of their heart. Now, the next thing we can learn from our divided heart is that we have a false sense of authority. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. For now they will say, We have no king, for we do not fear the Lord and a king. What could he do for us? They utter mere words. With empty oaths they make covenants. So judgment springs up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. Let me stop and ask, who says the Bible isn't relevant? Here we are reading about the nation of Israel, and it's almost 3,000 years ago, and it talks about judgment and lawsuits. Other translations use that word lawsuit for judgment. What he's saying here is that these people or these leaders made false oaths. They weren't true to their word. They were lying. They were deceiving. They were making agreements with no intention to keep them. So what happens? Judgments spring up. Lawsuits spring up like a weed in a field. Now notice he didn't say that lawyers are poisonous weeds, but he says judgment or lawsuits are like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. Now let me continue with verses 5 and 6. The inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf of Beth-Avon. Its people mourn for it, and so do its idolatrous priests, those who rejoiced over it and over its glory. For it has departed from them. The thing itself shall be carried to Assyria as a tribute to a great king. Ephraim shall be put to shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of its idol. Now in case you missed the previous lesson, I'll, I'll explain Beth-Haven real quick. Right here you would say that Hosea has taken a jab or a poke in the eye at Beth-Haven. Because Beth-Haven is really Bethel. The northern kingdom of Israel, when they got into idolatry, they did this because if you go way back to when they split, you had the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. King Jeroboam had two new temples built. And he kept the people from going to the southern kingdom down to worship by first creating a temple in Dan, which is the tip of the northern kingdom. And then to cover those who lived in the southern part of the northern kingdom, he had Bethel built. Now, Bethel means the house of God. But Hosea is jabbing at the northern kingdom of Israel by calling this Beth-Avon. Beth-Avon means a house of wickedness. And it's because that they had idols there and they were worshiping other gods. So God is addressing their calf god and the idols that they have there. You might ask, where did they start worshiping these cow gods from? Well, it goes all the way back to Exodus 32 in Egypt. If you remember, the nation of Israel was camped at Mount Sinai. Moses has gone up into the mountain to get the Ten Commandments for like 40 days. The people don't think he's coming back, so they go to Aaron. They say, make us gods like before. And Aaron has them gather up all the gold earrings and ornaments and rings, and he melts it down, and he creates this golden calf like they asked for. And Aaron then builds an altar before this calf, and he declares the next day that there'll be a festival or a feast. Now, just like Mardi Gras, there is this festival there. And there's drinking and there's eating and sexual immorality, all in the name of worshiping this calf god because that's what the Egyptians did. And so they were comfortable. They were going back to the ways of Egypt. Now, it's 500 years later or so. And because of their priests not being anointed and not being trained in the ways of the Lord, only leading and teaching by what they know or been told by elders, They've induced these calves back into their temple at Dan and Beth-Avon. 
So God is saying in the second half of verse 5 and 6 that they will mourn over these idols because they will be taken from them when they go back into exile. And they'll be given to the Assyrian king as a tribute or a spoil from him conquering them. To put this in modern day terms, God is saying, I'm going to give your little calf God to the king of Assyria. He's going to come down on my behalf and he's going to spank you. When this comes to pass, just remember that I told you this was all going to happen because you worshiped a false god. And obviously, if I can do this, then your God isn't that big and powerful as I am. I am the one and true living God that you should know, but yet you worship these false gods. You have a divided heart. You chase after other things besides me. Now look how Hosea says they will respond in verse 7 and 8. Samaria's king shall perish like a twig on the face of the waters. The high places of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. Thorns and thistles shall grow up in their altars, and they shall say to the mountains, Cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. Now, if you remember when we studied Revelation, this sounds very familiar. Listen to what John was inspired to write in Revelation 6, 15 through 17. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves among the rocks from the mountains calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? So in Revelation 6, it says this is going to happen in the future after the seventh seal is open. It says that there are going to be people begging to die. It's going to be so severe that people are going to want to die than face the judgment of God. And that's what Hosea is saying here too. He's saying that a time is coming that you will be so grieved because you didn't turn from idolatry that you wanted to worship this little calf God that you now want to die and not endure the judgment of God. You will cry out to the rocks to fall on you. You will not want to face your judgment. Now I know some of you are thinking that this judgment must be too hard for their sin. But first, the real issue is not their sin per se, but their stubbornness not to repent from it. Look, it's no different today. The issue really isn't your sin per se because Jesus went to the cross and took care of it. The real issue is your stubbornness to turn from that sin and ask for his forgiveness. You won't humble yourself and repent of that sin. Now, sadly, there are people walking around coming through church doors Sunday after Sunday. They live openly in sin and they're too stubborn to turn and repent of that sin. Eventually, God removes his protection from them, though, and he allows them to suffer for that sin. And what do they do? We say that the judgment is too harsh. We say that the consequences are too mean. We didn't take the opportunity for mercy before the pain came, but God gave us that chance. God gave us that mercy. He had to take it away for us to turn, and now we complain about it. So Hosea is saying that some of you will want to die. You'll call out to the mountains and to the rocks to fall on you and kill you instead of facing judgment. Now look how God calls them to break up their heart like fallow ground. Look with me at verses 9 through 12. From the days of Gibeah you have sinned, O Israel. There they have continued. Shall not the war against the unjust overtake them in Gibeah? When I please, I will discipline them, and the nation shall be gathered against them when they are bound up for their double iniquity. Ephraim was a trained calf that I loved to thresh, and I spared her fair neck. But I will put Ephraim to the yoke. Judah must plow, Jacob must harrow for himself. Sow for yourself righteousness, reap steadfast love, 
Break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. God says through Hosea, time's up. Here's your last chance for mercy that you were just asking for. Break up your hard heart. Because God's relentless love for us, he gives them one more chance to make things right. I love what he says in verse 12. Sow for yourself righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground. For it is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Now Hosea gets back to the principle of sowing and reaping here. Last week we saw that there were dried up roots and barren soil. And earlier we saw a fruitless vine. But now we see God's relentless love. We see how he can make things right. We see the answer. It is to seek the Lord. How do we overcome a divided heart? We seek the Lord. You can ask anyone that's been a Christian for some period of time, and most would tell you that at some point there's been a season of dryness. It's during those seasons of dryness that we have to decide whether or not we're going to rely upon the Lord more. If we aren't careful and we don't seek God, we can go from dryness to hardness. If all we are expecting from God is for him to bless us and take care of us, and we don't expect anything to flow in the other direction, then our heart will grow hard over time. See, God will not give us what we want when we expect it all just for us. But when we seek the Lord, when we continually ask God to cleanse our heart, to keep us from selfishness, to allow him to break up and plow that fallow ground, you might ask, what is fallow ground? Well, the Hebrew definition is it's a tillable, untilled ground. It was land that could have been productive, but for whatever reason, it hasn't been broken up. It hasn't been tilled. It hasn't been plowed. It hasn't been prepared for planting. Maybe today there's a part of your heart that hasn't been tilled up. You've not allowed God to plow or renew that area of your life. And God is saying, break up that fallow ground. Sow in righteousness so that you'll reap steadfast love. Maybe you've allowed weeds and thorns to grow over that part of your heart. Maybe your walk has become dry, so you've allowed that soil to get hard. Today is today. God is knocking on your heart saying, break up the fallow ground of your heart. Now, if you look back at verse 11, it says, Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh. What we see in this phrase is that God has put inside us a desire to worship God. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When God created Adam, he put in him a desire to spend time with God. Genesis says that they would spend time together in the cool of the evenings. When the fall of man came, it messed it all up. Sin separated us from God, but yet there's still that desire in us. There's that emptiness, that void. And that's why people chase after things. They're trying to fill that void in their life. And I can stand here today and tell you, no matter what you chase after, whether it's money, power, sex, drugs, or whatever, it will never satisfy that deep desire, that void in your life. That's why you always have to have more. It's never enough when you get some of it. The only thing that can satisfy that deep inner void is to worship God, to spend time with God, to have that intimate relationship back with him like he originally created us to have. Jeremiah 4, 3-4 says this, For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskins of your heart, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. 
See, Jeremiah is basically saying the exact same thing that Hosea was saying. He's saying to not sow among the thorns and to circumcise the foreskin of your heart. When I read this, it immediately made me think of the parable of the sower from Matthew 13. If you remember, there was four types of soil. There was the hard ground, the rocky ground, fallow ground with thorns, and good soil. Now that fallow ground with thorns was fertile soil, but the thorns choked out the word. The thorns represent the cares of this world. So God says, don't sow seeds from the world or mix the world in with your seed. Don't have a divided heart, but sow seeds of righteousness and you'll reap steadfast love. Now, the last thing we see is the result from doing it our own way. I'd love to tell you that Israel listened to Hosea and they turned, but they didn't. Look with me at verses 13 through 15. You have plowed iniquity and you have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies and because you have trusted in your own ways and in the multitude of your warriors, therefore the tumult of war shall rise among the people and all your fortresses shall be destroyed as Shalom destroyed Beth Barbel on the day of the battle. Mothers were dashed into pieces with their children. And thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel, because of your great evil, at dawn the king of Israel shall be utterly cut off. So despite God's mercy and his plea for repentance, Ephraim or Israel remained stubborn. They thought they would be okay because they had built these alliances with other nations. And a matter of fact, the nation that they thought would be their ally and protect them from invaders coming in takes them captive. Hosea says in verse 15, though, just like you've seen before, you're going to be destroyed. Your fortresses won't be enough. Your king will no longer have any power. Let me close with this final thought. There's a day coming, just like Hosea says is coming for Israel. Jesus is going to come through the clouds in all his glory. And who will you cry out for? Will you be like John wrote and Hosea wrote? Will you cry out for the mountains and the rocks to keep you from his judgment? Will the gods that you hold so dear, like the job, the car, money, power, or so on, be worthless just like the cow god that's taken away from Israel? Is there fallow ground in your heart that's not been turned over? An area that you need to have renewed, that you need to turn over to God? Will you be like Israel and realize on that day that you've been worshiping all the wrong gods, that you believe lies of Satan in the world? Verse 12 gives us the right answer, though. Seek after God. Break up that fallow ground of your heart. Sow seeds of righteousness and we'll reap God's steadfast love. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and I thank you for this opportunity to come back together and study Hosea a little bit more, to spend time in your word and to learn from it. Lord, I pray for all those that are listening. Lord, there are some that darken the church door every day. They have fallow ground in their life. They're chasing after things of the world. They have a divided heart because they love the things of the world and they say they love you. And you say, if you're not Lord of all, then you're not Lord at all. And Lord, right now I ask that they would listen to your mercy. They would hear the knocking that you're doing on their hearts and they would turn. Lord, maybe there's those that are sitting there saying, this isn't for me. I'm good. I'm okay. But we all have a continuous need to be refreshed and renewed by you. Lord, I pray today that they would pray, Lord, forgive me of my sins, my unknown sins. Lord, let me produce more fruit for others. Let me be more like you every day. Our walk is never done. Lord, maybe there's one that doesn't know you. I pray for them right now. 
Lord, that they would call out to you. They would say, I'm a sinner. You went to the cross and you died for me. And they would believe on that. And they would confess with their mouth that you are Lord of their life. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We're going to give Jesus all the honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.